Hello everyone and Happy New Year. Welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, but I am not alone. Because if you've been listening and or watching these episodes by now, you know who I am joined by. My cohort in crime, the Prince of Punk, some might say. It is the one and only Mr. Andy Hanley. How you doing, good sir? I'm, I'm doing very well. Un unlike some people we will talk about later in this podcast, I have not deserted you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, well, mate, first of all, Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to, to everybody watching, because, yeah, it's somehow it's 2022. I know. It, it, that in itself is a scary thought <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 it is increasingly confusing these days to figure out what day of the week it is, what month it is, what year it is, so it's going to be a struggle to remember that we're now in a different year to the one we were in a few days ago at the time of recording this. Yeah, There's always like the little things, I mean, I know we don't necessarily have to write down dates as much now, because most of it's all just done for you on a computer, but on the odd thing that you need to sign it with a date, you've got to get used to writing 2-2 rather than 2-1 now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, weirdly, this this time around, I started doing it too early, and I started calling things twenty twenty two when we weren't there yet. So I I don't know what's going on there, but that, I mean, it's clearly you just longing for the year twenty twenty two, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to myself. Including. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have all been wanting twenty twenty one to to end for well for about twelve months. So, you know, <laughs> here we here we are. We did it. We made it. Uh, but you know what doesn't end, Andy? This podcast, because we said we will be rolling on into 2022, and we are, because today we will be covering the episodes 17 through 20 of season two. But before we go any further, worth noting, as we've mentioned before, that you can actually watch all of the episodes we will be talking about today completely for free and 100% legitimately on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That is where we watch all the episodes that we talk about and also dictates the order that we watch things as well. Additional note as well, if you're listening to the audio version, there is a video component version of this podcast you are listening to. Or if you're already on YouTube, hi! But otherwise, you can find our YouTube channel by searching for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, and you can watch the episode in its entirety and actually see the reactions that Andy and I give. And a little bit of a potential tease for later, there might be a very good reason later on to check out the video version. Hmm, why? We'll find out later. But if you also want to find us on social media, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram. We are at StarscreamsPod. And if you feel so inclined, you can drop us an email on StarscreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. So Andy, before we get to talking about episode 17 first, we talked about it briefly at the end of the last episode, if I remember correctly. But little peek behind the curtain, guys. We recorded that episode like three weeks ago. <laughs> this is like the first time Andy and I have spoken in a few weeks. But we were talking about how we're nearly at season two at this point. And for us in real time, it's been a good few weeks since watching Transformers episodes. So any just like thoughts so far or any other things that have come to mind about what we have indulged in thus far? Yeah, I mean, it's really just kind of having having been somewhat reticent slash worried about the quality of, of episodes in this season it's all been pretty good so far uh, I mean actually like I think one of the episodes we're going to talk about today is perhaps the worst episode we've had in the series so far but like even that is not like a calamitous disaster um so you know it's all been pretty good and I've I've sort of enjoyed these episodes more than I expected. Like, I knew what I was getting into with season one, and I was, like, comfortable, like, yeah, I'm going to have a good time with these. But season two, I was like, oh, is, am I going to... 
Am I going to hate Jeremy for making me watch these uh, like every week? But no, no, I don't hate you yet. So that's that's really good news. Yay! <laughs> Result. For, for me, it's been. I mean, I talk, we talked about it in our very first podcast. How for me, this was going to be a big nostalgia trip, but me actually experiencing all of Transformers for the first time because that's not what I've done before. And despite like the random continuity things, be it because of broadcast order or just animation stuff that we've pointed out, it has been really good fun doing this and. Like, like I mentioned, after having a couple of weeks off for us recording episodes, it was nice to actually just get back into the flow of this. And we've we've certainly got a crop of episodes, Andy, that, that, that gave us a little bit of everything, it's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a kind of a mixed bag, these four episodes. Like, there's a pretty solid sort of character-based episode, then, you know, an episode which I think has some really good ideas, but maybe doesn't execute on them very well. And then we have a, a pretty banging two-parter it's so good um, which, i'm just gonna again, say it now it's so good yeah like which again it just sort of you can tell that that those are like they're not just two-parters because it's like oh we can't fit this into one episode like they are clearly created as like highlights of the series that they can sell on on vhs and what have you because the the, the attention that goes into those on a multitude of levels kind of shines through um, so yeah, this was definitely another one of those that's like, yep, this is, you know, this, this is some sort of prestige television, basically. Indeed. So worth noting from the outset, everybody, in case you're curious to know what the episode titles are, episode 17 is Auto Berserk, episode 18 is City of Steel, and then 19 and 20 is the two-parter story, Desertion of the Dinobots. We will begin proceedings today with episode 17. Auto Berserk. We begin with the Autobots testing a device for the military that we hear referred to as the Negavator. First off, Andy, we're pausing already. In terms of names, there are certainly some interesting names that we have heard during this show. We've had like, you know, Space Bridge, Cyber something, all these other words. And then now we've got to the point of just like Nega as being one of them as well. It's pretty good. Yeah, it, it it took me a while, I, and I'm I'm glad you kind of went first on saying this because it took me a while to figure out exactly what it was because it sounded a bit like Mega Fader to start with, and it's like, oh, well, that okay. makes sense because because like you know it is a weapon that kind of basically fades things out of existence. It's like ah maybe they're getting very literal on that, but then it sounded like they were saying Mega Fader, then Mega Vader, and then Mega Vader, and it's like I'm not even sure like you know which one of these is is accurate but yeah i think i settled on like negavader seems to be what they're actually saying it just yeah, wasn't I mean, always entirely clear to me yeah admittedly i've not actually looked up what it's called i just went by that because i was wearing headphones when watching the episode yeah so that, that's just what i went with mainly so if we are yeah. wrong please let us know drop us a tweet or a message <laughs> you know let us know and also speaking of which and you just mentioned it this this is an object that makes things disappear before our eyes that said andy i also want to make it known it also made my eyes disappear because the first time we saw it i think it was almost seizure inducing yeah <laughs> that, that, that 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 was a classic 80s tv moment of like you know pre concerns about flashing light patterns causing seizures um etc etc because yeah you don't you don't get that on tv anymore because you know after that pokemon incident nobody does that kind of thing um so yeah i i also had a bit of a like i think i need to look away for a second here because they they were they were going for it and uh you know i i i approve like visually it looked it, it made that pop but yeah also kind of kind of painful <laughs> 
So in terms of, in fact, you know what, to give some context, especially for those who maybe are listening to this but haven't actually watched the episode, the Negavator is what I would describe as a giant laser beam on wheels, but the actual shape of it, and maybe you could think of something better, Andy, but I was thinking it's kind of like how people depict a satellite looks when orbiting Earth. Kind of the almost stereotypical satellite. It kind of almost looked like that, like the central part to that. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a weird design. Like, you know, we've, we've had a bunch of, like, super guns in this series, which, I mean, this will, we'll get onto, like, the, the focus of this episode, Red Alert, does kind of point out, like, you keep making these super weapons and they never help defeat the Decepticons. <laughs> and it's like, you know, very good point, very well made. Um, but, yeah, this is a particularly weird one, like, design-wise, because it's kind of quite understated compared to some of the other, like, crazy weapons that we've seen in this series. This feels kind of, like, quite toned down, um, which sort of makes it stand out a little bit weirdly. Also worth noting as well that there is a cockpit inside this device, but as we saw during this demonstration at the start of the episode, it can be operated remotely as well. Suddenly, Soundwave appears, and the Autobots scramble to head to the Decepticons to prevent them from getting the Negavator. A firefight ensues between the Cassettes and Optimus Prime, Grapple and Ironhide. But elsewhere, Red Alert is operating the device and is trying to be rid of Soundwave in the process as well. It should also be noted, as you've alluded to as well, Andy, that Inferno is wanting to go out and help the others, but Red Alert simply will not let him. <laughs> just is defiant in this. No, stay here, guard the base. And then Inferno just being, I want to go help. <laughs> Now, during the firefighting outside, so a little bit more context actually to begin with, where they are is inside some kind of random bunker that we're led to believe that is it Grapple that built it by the sound mm -hmm. of it? Yep, Gra Grapple. It was it, Grapple is very proud of his bunker and very <laughs> upset at what becomes of it in the minutes <laughs> to follow. So the Autobots exit the bunker, but the entrance has basically been blocked. In fact, Grapple then saying, Andy, I wrote this down, quote unquote, Someday, I want to build something that doesn't get trashed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not in this batch of episodes, Grapple, I can tell you. <laughs> so the entrance is cleared, allowing the firefight to continue. We then get a wonderful little exchange of dialogue that I had to write down between Soundwave and Rumble. Of Soundwave, first of all, saying, Rumble, eliminate resistance. And Rumble simply responding with, I'm trying, Soundwave! <laughs> <laughs> Just so good. Now, during all of this uh, firefighting, excuse me, Frenzy somehow shoulder barges Optimus Prime out of the way of the Negavator, which in itself, I'm not going to question it because it was great, and allows, it gives enough time for Rumble to then get inside the cockpit to operate it. He tries to fire it at Prime, but something happens and it doesn't work, and at that point, Inferno has appeared, leaving the bunker unguarded. At that moment, they're uh, sorry. At the moment they are retreating, Rumble fires a rocket into the bunker, causing carnage and devastation inside. That includes Red Alert, who was still inside at the time, being pummeled to bits by debris and getting pinned under a lot of rocks in the process. Once freed by Hoist, Red Alert is convinced that Inferno wants his job and has betrayed him. Prime is unconvinced by this claim because you know. Optimus Prime occasionally is the voice of reason, but then tells Red Alert to get checked out as suddenly he has an electro glitch occur that Red Alert says happens occasionally. We might come back to that in a second. But Red Alert is now also of the belief 
that this is a threat to his job because Optimus Prime wants that too. So, as you can kind of tell here, people, the, the big crux of the episode is about Red Alert and the fact that he's going crazy because, you know, got buried under rocks and stuff like that. It, it's an interesting plot device here, Andy, because we haven't really... We've seen episodes before where, like, you know, was Mirage a traitor? We've had that kind of episode. We've had little inklings of this stuff before, but never anything where it's been something to this degree and just an Autobot outright just disobeying someone in this way. I don't think it's been this pronounced, or maybe one or two instances, but it's never felt this, he's going to take my job, I must stop him, what am I going to do, I must prevent this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's an interesting one because it's kind of it's kind of smart because it sort of ties us into, like, Red Alert's character, because he's clearly sort of like the Autobot early warning system, because you kind of get to see, you know, at the start of this attack, he's like, oh, oh Decepticons are coming, um, you know, before anybody else even realises where he was prior to this episode when the Decepticons were coming every single episode who who can say you know maybe maybe somebody should take his job um but that aside like you know so that's really interesting that it kind of sets him up as somebody who is sort of like naturally sort of somewhat paranoid or kind of you know sort of sensitive to these things and so it's sort of it's interesting that this isn't kind of your typical you know like character gets a bashed on the head and their personality changes this is more just a kind of like exaggeration of his existing personality for kind of reasons unknown because it's not it doesn't really seem like it's trying to play the idea that he got bashed on the head by something when the stuff fell on him like it seems like it's more like this is just legit like part of his sort of programming that goes a bit haywire sometimes um and and man does red alert look tired um, that's like my favourite like visual effect of this episode is they just make him look exhausted for like most of this episode until he until like the end of it he's just like you know clearly been like up at night worrying about this stuff and it's like it's a really interesting kind of visual touch for a robot but it kind of works because straight away you look at him as like oh man he's having a, he's having a rough time um, so so yeah I I do really like that as as not just the usual boring kind of personality change plot device it's far more of a just like this is this is this character doing what he does but like ramped up to 11 mm. now in a ravine first bingo card point of the year if you had did the autobots end up in a ravine on your bingo card please check that off now megatron is planning to launch another assault with rumble causing an avalanche but this is not helping the autobots in another way because red alert scanners are glitching causing him to not realise that the Decepticons are there and could have prevented this and also have prevented Optimus Prime and Ironhide being buried under an avalanche. Minor detail. Smokescreen does his namesake and we come to find out in this process, Andy, that Megatron suffers from a coughing fit inside smoke. Yeah, We're learning, I mean, more, this... about, learning more about Transformers biology here. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I can't remember which other episode it is, but this, this does happen multiple times within this set of episodes that Transformers, like, cough when they are they're in smoke. So, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know how that works either, but apparently that's a thing. Starscream and the cone version of the Seeker Jets are also fumbled by this as their radars are damaged by laser fire. Megatron is nearly able to get the Negavator, but fails. The Decepticons retreat, surprise, surprise, and Starscream is just abandoned at this point as well. <laughs> Megatron just basically going, no, he's done, just leave him, I don't care. Now, Red Alert is having quite the moment, to say the least. 
and ends up making haste after he clearly needs help. The Autobots are chasing him through a forest into somehow a nearby city. Won't judge that, we'll just go with it. Chasing him through the streets. Except it turns out it's not him they're chasing. It's actually a legit car that a human was driving that Red Alert was based on. That, Andy, I actually really liked as a plot detail because they've not actually done that before. And I'm finally glad something like that happened. Yeah, it, it, it was it was quite fun, and like for me, it was a bit. Perhaps it's because it's still kind of the season. I had a bit of a pantomime moment of like, no, that's not that's not Red Alert. Like, why? That's not the that's not the vehicle. Um, but yeah, it's it's just like a really fun that whole exchange where like Einheis is picking up the car, talking to it. It's like, are you okay? Can you not even transform? And then the dude's just there. It's like, um, that's my car, and he's like, oh, sorry, you can have that back. <laughs> So, point of order on that, because the guy whose car it was, was like the chief of the firefighters. Did you notice how there was a burning building there? And once Ironhide put the car down, he just drove away. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, that well-known Autobot trait of not caring about humans <laughs> potentially being in danger. It's like, ah, no, you know. I mean, I guess th there were quite a few fire engines and stuff there. I guess they had it covered, so, you know, that's, that's fine, I suppose. <laughs> He could have shot out some cement from his hand or something. You know, that, that would have helped. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, like he is... And, and also, like, you know, Inferno was around. You know, the fire truck transformer <laughs> that could probably have, you know, lent some assistance there. But, but hey, I guess they were, they were worried about their friends. So, you know, it's fine. Now, this is where things take another interesting turn. Because Red Alert is lured into a garage by Starscream who manipulates his brain as it currently is by telling him that they need each other's help and saying that and saying I'm not telling you to join the Decepticons I'm saying that everyone is clearly afraid of both of our superiority Starscream such a great such a great moment here so good and at that moment the Autobots have to abandon their search for Red Alert because their respective energy levels are really low and they couldn't withstand an attack if they were attacked at that very moment and also, to note Andy, casually mentioned offhandedly, Red Alert circuits are going to explode soon. Yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> <sort> of, <laughs> that's literally how they said it. Yeah, they kind of bury the lead a bit there. It's like, oh, we're worried about a friend, also he might explode. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, maybe maybe that is the more pressing concern. But, uh, but yeah, I do... Th this is actually a good Starscream episode, um, like, in terms of sneaky Starscream and whiny Starscream. Like, th this felt like an episode where his, his voice actor is really having a good time because the, he everything that Starscream does is really delivered with gusto. Like including his like whispering from a garage like red alert come in here and it's just like all of it all of it is really really good stuff and also i like the fact as well that something this is a weird way to phrase it but something so human like that can happen in a show like this because when it says like, you hear a voice from beyond it's like hey come over here you might naturally just go to it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if if someone's whispering to you from an open garage, like, who who are you to not go in the garage when the door shuts behind you? I'll just move on from that then. <laughs> <laughs> now, back at the bunker, the Autobots take the Negavator to level 9 underground and store it in a cage. This is an important detail, so keep note of that. But at this moment, outside, Red Alert and Starscream are outside of the bunker because Red Alert is, slash was, I've written down, because at this point, who the heck knows, uh, was the security advisor of the entire bunker. So he knows all the secret passageways. 
But Ravage spots them snooping about, because when's Ravage not snooping about, respectively? And relays that info to Megatron. Megatron now realising that Starscream's basically doing more dirty work, and he's going to take advantage of that later on. So many degrees of, like, betrayal here. It's freaking great. Megatron's exact line, by the way, Andy, being, So, Starscream has engaged in, in a private enterprise with an Autobot. <laughs> just like, I'm trying to imagine just this private enterprise now. Just yeah, I mean, I mean that 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 does make it sound more like he set up some kind of like eBay shop on the side that Megatron's <laughs> unhappy about. But uh, but sure. <laughs> At this point, Wheeljack and Smokescreen leave the base to continue searching for Red Alert because their energy levels are not depleted, unlike everyone else. But now inside, Red Alert and Starscream are running through underground tunnels and have an encounter with. Quote unquote, the unstoppable tunnel drone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is again a great, great Starscream moment where kind of Red, hand, Red Alert just sort of offhandedly mentions, like, oh yeah, gotta watch out for the tunnel drone and stuff. And just like, the what? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are lots of moments like that. We've had the one about the circuits, and it's just Starscream's reaction of, wait, what? You couldn't have mentioned that a minute ago? It's so yeah, good. Yeah, it is fantastic. Now, the unstoppable. Tunnel Drone. I've tried to sum it up by saying, like, it's kind of like a tentacled alien monster. That's kind of the way I've described it, because there were tentacles, quite frankly. There were. I wonder, actually, this is really jumping far forward to the future, Andy. Do you reckon this might have been a design influence for the Quintessons, thinking long-term for Season 3? Yeah, maybe. I mean, again, it's like, uh, this, this This certainly feels like some very typical kind of like, you know, Japanese animation design in general, like not to get cliched about it, but, mm. uh, you know, and, and again, you, you you see kind of some, some slightly similar things in, you know, in, in Transformers, the movie inside Unicron and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, so who can say? I'm sure there are definitely some like reused elements that, that, that come together from time to time in terms of like, ah, oh, we could do some more stuff like this. So they survive their encounter with the unstoppable tunnel drone by basically just falling down a hole, quite literally, and they end up in the Negavator chamber. But with the alarm sounding, Red Alert and Starscream are able to break the Negavator out of the cage, but at that moment, both Autobots and Decepticons arrive. Now, it's about to get very busy what I'm going to say, so bear with me. Megatron calls out Starscream for betraying him, but Starscream says he wasn't going to... Sorry, try again. Megatron calls out Starscream for betraying him, but Starscream says he was going to steal it and then give it to Megatron. Red Alert isn't happy about that turn of events, as it's his device and has his own tussle with Starscream, who moments ago he was a friend with. Starscream then uses his Null Ray on Red Alert to basically null the effects of Red Alert going completely spare and restores his logic chips to, to normal. Red Alert is then told by Megatron to test the device, but instead of doing that, Red Alert sets it to self-destruct and is trying to call Megatron's bluff on that, which even at this point I'm wondering, surely not, you've just had your logic chip restored. Surely not. A firefight begins to ensue, but with the threat of self-destruction from the Negavator, the Seeker Jets turn tail and run, eventually followed by Megatron and Starscream. At this point, the device explodes, and Red Alert is caught in the crossfire. Inferno, his 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 friend, Andy, his his longtime friend, Inferno, goes goes inside the, the burning and falling building, rescues his counterpart. 
complete in fire truck and water hose mode, as I've written down, which is a really weird phrase, but I'll roll with that anyway. <laughs> he manages to get him out. Prime and Red Alert make amends, and the episode ends happily. <laughs> There's a lot that happens there to conclude that episode. But I did really like that part when there was like the very it was like the random chess game, who's moving the pieces where to try and keep up with who's what. I did like that. Yeah, I mean it it is one of the things that like I certainly hadn't really remembered that this series actually does that really well. Like, on, on a multitude of stories, we've had that kind of, you know, we've had it with the Insecticons and stuff, where there's sort of, you know, crossing and double-crossing and triple-crossing, it seems, sometimes. Um, and I also, much like the episode we had with, like, Grapple and the Constructicons, I kind of like it where you get these weird sort of Autobot and Decepticon team-ups, albeit, you know, and, and obviously we had, like, Optimus Prime firing Megatron in his gun mode, like, the other episode as well. Like, th those little moments are often quite quite fun, and this this was, I, I did weirdly enjoy kind of, like, Starscream and, and Red Alert as this very odd team-up for, like, a good five minutes. Um, not least because there's also a, a moment where Star scream just yells out i don't want to die um which was like my favorite line of the entire episode um and uh yeah that was it, it's a it's a very it's a very busy ending but it's sort of like sometimes we've complained about endings for episodes feeling rushed like this one sort of felt like it was it was busy for a good reason and it was as busy as it should be rather than just being kind of like oh god we've got to cram in like a way of ending this episode in the next two minutes and not just have it be Megatron slipped on a banana peel, the battle's over. Yeah, yeah, like, there is a good definitive ending. Although, like, I mean, from from watching the animation, it seemed like they were planning to give Red Alert a lot more to say at the end of this episode, <laughs> yes. because he kind of, he finishes talking, and then his mouth's moving for a good, like, ten seconds afterwards. Like, it's, I, in my, my head canon is that they've, like, overdubbed him just, like, slagging off Inferno for, like, a minute. <laughs> Of being like, I still think you suck. You're still an idiot. You still betrayed me. Um, but they just like overdubbed it. Like, Thank you. You are my best friend. I mean, look, we'll come on to house. We'll come on to some animation things in a minute in the next episode because there's some animation in the next episode we need to discuss. But this episode overall, Auto Berserk. You know what? Totally fine with it. It was good fun. A fun character development episode. Like you said, some great star screen moments. A very unique what-if team-up scenario, to phrase it in that way. And just perfectly, perfectly fine. Absolutely worth watching, if you want something to kill some time with. Yeah, yeah. Like, definitely is kind of like a solid one of these sort of character-centric episodes. Um, I mean, you could, you could argue Red Alert gets a bit of a kind of, like, short shrift, because most of it is just him, like, being a jerk. Um, and, you know, you maybe don't get to see... You don't really get to see much of him at his best. Like, because some of these sort of episodes, you know, it at least ends with a big sort of... Even, like, the Gears episode earlier on kind of ends with him sort of really turning the tables. I guess I guess you get a bit of that with this as well. Um, but, you know, then he still has to be kind of saved by somebody else. But, yeah, it's, it's nice... It's nice to, to have, like, a Red Alert episode because he's one of those sort of Transformers that I forget about more often than I should. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of... I kind of enjoyed it. Um, also, a, a, a great Megatron line in the, the middle of this episode where he just shouted at one of the Seekers, I've got morons on my team. <laughs> just, it was just his, his sole exclamation, which is like, I'm pretty sure he's not talking about his fantasy football team. 
Um, so uh, yeah, that 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 was that was that was a good Megatron line because it just comes out of nowhere as well. It's just like he just shouts it in a, in one of the seek the seeker jets face of just like it, it wasn't even really like n- nobody really particularly screwed up in this situation, but he was very much not happy. Yeah, that, that, those just random one-liners that we're getting at the moment, they're, they're, getting, some, they're getting to almost to a peak, I think. <laughs> There's going to be something that is just going to floor both of us at some point in this season. I don't know what it's going to be, but there's going to be something. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, like uh, 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 perhaps some foreshadowing of, of things to come in, in some of these episodes. You know, Yet another occasion of somebody seeing Soundwave in his cassette tape form and being like, oh, someone must have dropped this. I will pick it up and take it with me. Um, which like we we that reaches the a ridiculous level in <laughs> in the desertion of the Dinobots episodes, but we can talk about that later. Uh, we will be talking about that, Andy. Believe <laughs> me. But before we get to that, we move on to episode eighteen, City of Steel. Which worth noting from the outset, Andy. After we previously spoke about in I think it was the Atlantis episode, if I remember correctly, Atlantis Arise when they went to Washington. This time, we went to New York City. So you got another location-based Transformers episode. Yes, yes, we, we, we did indeed. Although it sort of doesn't... I, I, I don't know whether it, it, its renaming ever becomes official, but it kind of like isn't, isn't New York for all of this episode, as far <laughs> as Megatron would have it anyway. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, because Megatron really needs to learn how to name a city. <laughs> but we begin in New York City, as mentioned, and Laserbeak entering a sewer system and flying into a base within the chasm that is that. Now, I want to pause right there, Andy. Again, right at the start of the episode, because I genuinely thought we're in New York. We're going through a sewer system. Where are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> yeah, I was I guess waiting we were little... for it. <laughs> We're, we're a little too too early for that cartoon crossover tie-in, I guess. So uh, <laughs> sad times. I was just mad. I was just. I wanted a reference somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. Give it to me. Now the Constructicons are inside said base, and from from what the dialogue insinuates, we come to find out that the Decepticons are building a new base inside there. One of the Constructicons saying, "Remove the debris, long haul." And then Long Haul responding with the wonderful retort of Remove, remove, remove. Always remove. I didn't join this outfit to be a dump truck. <laughs> Which I've got bad news for him. He's a dump truck. So, I know, it's so good. <laughs> uh, so good. Now, what were they removing, you may be wondering? They're basically removing bits of ground above to then make a building fall down into the ground. In this case, Andy, they pick one of the good ones, the Empire State Building. <laughs> the, yep, uh, the, go, go big or go home. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that—that that is basically like, th- th- this is sort of the plan for pretty much every major thing that happens in this episode. It seems to be make a big hole un- under something so that it falls through. Like, <laughs> that's kind of like every every important thing that happens here starts from making something fall through a hole. At Autobot HQ... Prime instantly knows, based on the news report of the fact the Empire State Building just disappeared, that clearly it's the work of Megatron, and they roll out for Central Park. We get some fun moments of Autobots going by landmarks in New York, but Laserbeak spots them and informs Megatron of this. At Central Park, they are met by Soundwave, Rumble, and Frenzy. During the ensuing fight, the Constructicons dig away the ground underneath Optimus Prime... And Prime then just falls through a hole, 
ends up in the back of Long Haul, the dump truck, and then basically has his motor relay functions disabled, so he's just a corpse just lying there in the back of a truck. Because because Megatron, as he put it, Andy, put him into suspended animation for a while. Because, yeah. Because, you know, that's not grim at all. You fall through a hole and then you get put into suspended animation. Yeah, and, and, it, and it gets grimmer. Um, but yeah, like this is a weirdly sort of weak way for Optimus Prime to end up in a sticky situation. Like, you know, he's come to sort of near-death circumstances numerous times, but there's always been sort of something relatively grandiose about it and something kind of quite noble or whatever about him almost, you know, copying it. But this time it's just like, now we'll just make him fall in a hole and then I'll just, like, push a button, basically, and turn him off. And it's like, eh, well, that's kind of not really, you know... That's not not kind of like high tier plotting from Megatron's side, but effective apparently. I mean, they only could have won up to it if they just made it. If they just like pulled away a sewer crate or a drain, and he just fell through the sewer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's not that far off the classic kind of man trap for these things. <laughs> but, uh... Also worth noting that Megatron makes it known to the other Autobots that if they do anything to try and save him. He will just basically disable Optimus Prime. In fact, melt him down, I think, is exactly what he said. Now, seemingly, they're going to adhere to this. And suddenly, the base that they've been working on from, from underground... Yeah, this is how fast the episode is moving, everybody. I've just skipped a load of stuff. This is what happens. The base rises from the ground. Seems familiar, doesn't it, everyone? And now, Andy. Megatron needs to work on his naming for new stuff. Because... That this base rises from the ground, and we come to find out it is simply called New Cybertron. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like you know, if you're in New York, like you might as well just just take that <laughs> take that naming scheme to its logical conclusion. I mean, my my bigger problem here is like, how many new headquarters do the, do the Decepticons need? <laughs> it's like you know, the Autobots stuck in a volcano. Just seem quite happy there. We'll just stick around here. We don't. We don't need a new place. We don't need a bigger gaff. You know, they've 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 done some upgrades. You know, they've done some home improvements, and that's kind of it. But the Decepticons, you know, every few episodes, you know, they have their undersea base. They have got their spaceship thing. They've got all these oil rigs, and now you know now they want a city. It's just like it's just this constant, you know, constant moving. Cle- clearly, like Megatron's just watching all these property programs on TV and being like, nah, gotta we gotta move, gotta gotta upgrade. Megatron's watching the 1985 equivalent of Homes Under the Hammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. It's like, you know, do, 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 do you want to own a city for yourself? Then here's how you do it. Now, what I will say, Andy, is because you mentioned like the Autobots are perfectly happy in their base. They've done, you know, they've done it up a bit. They've had to do it up from the amount of times it's been destroyed. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that is it. Maybe that's, maybe they want to move, but they just don't have the budget because they have to spend it all on Teletran repairs. <laughs> So, as mentioned, the base rises, and that is kind of the end of a part of the episode, if you will. Uh, now, when we come back, the city is being evacuated, and a bunch of Autobots are stuck in traffic on the bridge. And it's now, New York. <laughs> yeah, literally. And Spike has a plan to attack the Decepticons, so they take the nearest exit off the bridge. And I'm just thinking, sure, was that just your obligatory New York bridge shot, as it were? We now come to find out that they are going to now sneak through a sewer tunnel. And Mirage goes on ahead in cloaked mode to make sure nothing spots them. Smart. Intelligent. I like that. At New Cybertron, 
Hook, the the uh, Decepticon that is, not like the pro wrestler if you're a fan of pro wrestling, but there you go. Hook yeah, all, 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 all the Peter Pan character, just so we're fair. clear which yep. Hook it is. <laughs> very, very clear, very fair. <laughs> Hook disassembles Prime, and now Prime's head is just being held like we've got a, a play from Hamlet or something by Megatron. <laughs> and Prime's head is still working and somehow is still able to move his arms enough to just, like, trip up Megatron. It's really, really weird. And, yeah. at that, and at that point, Megatron orders the rest of Prime's parts to be, like, just got away with. Sans his head. Sorry, continue. Yeah, th- th- this whole thing feels really weird and kind of dumb. Because, yeah, like, they somehow Optimus Prime... I mean, I guess it sort of makes sense if you ex- extend out that, you know, like, Optimus Prime can control, like, Roller and his trailer remotely. Mm. So I guess maybe that extends to other parts of him that are disconnected from himself. But it is one of the sort of recurring dumb things in this episode where he can just, like, control other bits of his body and just, like, kind of make them fly around. Um, and this... I, I, did, I did get a bit of a chuckle out of suddenly just, like... Optimus Prime's like disembodied hands just like grabbing Megatron and tripping him up and it's like you know you've literally disassembled Optimus Prime into tiny bits and you still just fall over him Megatron like what what are you doing Um, which is like my broader problem with this is like you've got Optimus Prime where you want him but it's that typical kind of cartoon villain thing of well you can't just kill him because that would ruin you know you can't just kill everyone's favourite character in a cartoon oh wait you can you've just got to wait for the movie um But, you know, so you just have to have this kind of convoluted, you know, breaking him down into component parts thing, which just sort of, again, it just all feels a bit sort of weak source as, you know, you've got the greatest Autobot ever in the palm of your hand and you're just, and again, even just keeping his head like, oh, I'll keep, you know, the one important bit of him that just literally just tripped me up, but I'll keep that as a souvenir. That'll be fine. What could possibly go wrong? Now, it was all, as a sidebar here, it was also at this point in particular, on the close-ups of Megatron, that I just thought, what is up with Megatron's face? Because I'm not sure if you noticed, but some of the animation of the actual Transformers in this episode in particular, there was, someone either didn't get the proper, like, like, what's it called, like, Bible, if you will, like the style guide, that's what I'm thinking, when it comes to how they're meant to look or something, because some of the some of the, the, the designs, particularly in the faces, looked really off in this episode. Yeah, this is a pretty clunky episode, like, animation-wise in general, but yeah, Megatron seems to get the worst of it, because he's, like, off-model in almost every shot, or a, a significant percentage of them. And in places you can kind of understand it, because there are kind of parts of this episode that kind of reach a bit in terms of what they're trying to do with the animation like you know it's not your typical sort of relatively static firefight so i suspect they may be bit off more than they could chew but even when you have those more static shots there's yeah there's a lot of particularly like early in this episode i was just like that is definitely that is megatron but it doesn't really look like megatron it's uh decidedly off model this is a really weird comparison to go with but i'm gonna say it anyway it's almost like the equivalent when it comes to, like, Avengers Endgame, when you have, like, the time skip and you see Thor five years later and he's put on the pounds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if only it was even that consistent. It's just, like, it's just <laughs> so kind of all over the place where, 
even if it was a slightly different character design, but they stuck with it, you'd be like, oh, okay, this is weird, but fine. But it's just like, it really is all, all over the show. So I suspect they maybe had like a bunch of, of different key animators in for this episode or something that, you know, were maybe not quite as on point with how you drew Megatron at that point. So he just ends up looking particularly different. But yeah, like a, a number of characters suffer over the course of this episode, um, but but he definitely gets the worst of it. So we come to find out that the Constructicons have been using Prime's part in various ways. Ooh. Now, at this point, it's not clear exactly what they've done, but we find out literally a moment or two later, because in the sewer tunnel, the Autobots navigating their way through encounter an alligator. A robot alligator. You could say the Alligator-Con, as someone called it, which I audibly went, ugh when I heard that. Now, the reason we know this is because there's an Autobot logo on it, and some parts of it look very similar to Prime. And Mirage's sensors are also detecting that Prime is nearby. So, lots of kind of moving parts going on here. But, they, but ultimately, Andy, despite having a little bit of a chase sequence, they're able to trap said alligator in a train and send it away. Yeah, and I can't believe nobody used the phrase "see you later, alligator" as it, as it <laughs> disappeared. Like of, of all, like we've had plenty of dumb lines in in Transformers. I can't believe that nobody went for that one. Maybe it was just too obvious. Maybe that's why they were thinking we need to think of a name, alligator con. That's our alligator <laughs> reference. And then you could, there's probably someone else going, "What about if you went for see you later?" No, no, we can't use that, alligator con. That's what we're going to use. But you've got a really obvious shush. I'm writing. <laughs> or similar. Now, on the surface, construction on new Cybertron continues because apparently, Andy, it's not finished, even though they've risen it from the ground. Sure, whatever. But unbeknownst to them, the Autobots have now found Optimus Prime's head and have reactivated it as well because at this point, very much suspended animation. Prime is able to detect some of his legs and summons them. <laughs> it's the only way I can put it. I mean, it's not it's not even that graceful because it's like, ah, can you move your legs? It's like, yes, I think so. And you kind of assume that they're going to like walk towards him, but they just kind of like toss themselves in his general direction. <laughs> it's like this, this really kind of like offhand, like somebody's just thrown their slippers across the room kind of thing um, that I sort of really enjoyed because it wasn't the sort of the, the incredible feat that it was sort of sounded like it was going to be. So he summons the legs, and then it turns out that the, the alligator con, as mentioned, was more of his body. So we don't see it happen, but they clearly get the train back there, and they apprehend it, and then end up putting Prime back together, sands his right arm, which the Constructicons have taken to the surface and have made the official gun turret of new Cybertron, <laughs> just sitting at the top with the gun in hand. Andy, a bit far-fetched, I'll just go with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, what what could possibly go wrong with this plan? Um, it does make you wonder, like, were they that short on weapons that, like, that was the only thing that they could find to use? Because, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really seem well-suited to the task at hand, but sure like if that's if that's what you want to do with optimus prime's arm then you know yeah who, who are we to argue it turns out the, the constructor cons have also done some handy work on vehicles in new york city more specifically a bunch of nyc taxis that megatron calls battle taxis 
Yeah, and the Autobots then far better to to turn to call them calling them Deceptor Cabs. Yes, it's, it's the like, best. It's just like there you go, Megatron. That's how you name something. <laughs> Deceptor Cabs. I mean, I, I I laugh so much at both of those, but Battle Taxis is perhaps like you know if 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 I ever like decide that a career change is needed and create a taxi company, I know what I'm calling it. That's all I'm saying. What not Deceptor Cabs? That ba- Battle Taxis it is. <laughs> Joe, I actually really want to know: Has there ever been a toy of a Deceptor Cab slash Battle Taxi? I don't think so, but yeah, somebody is missing a trick if, if if that hasn't been done. I mean, sadly, there's kind of it's a shame there isn't more to them than just like they're just bad taxis. Which I mean, they're in New York, so they're probably all basically Decepticons already. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, that that was absolutely my favourite moment. Well, actually, th- there's there's another moment that is also one of my favourites of this episode. But but the whole battle taxis reveal thing was like it is clearly it's one of those things where the writers like. What's the most New York thing we could weaponize and turn against the Autobots? And straight away, everyone in the room was just like taxi cabs. Like, cool, <laughs> yep, done. Let's do this. We get a great sequence of cars driving all over the place, and even Prime just bowling his way through a bunch of taxis in his truck form, which I do actually want to acknowledge this as well. I like the fact that they made note that Prime can still transform, but even though one of his arms are mi- is missing, he's just got like a giant missing bit on the back of him. I like the fact they actually acknowledged that and didn't just go, can you still transform, Prime? And it's just like, yes, of course I can. Yeah, no, I, I, I also, yeah, really appreciated that they, I, my expectation was that he was just going to transform and be somehow complete in his truck mode and then we'd sit here and complain about the animation error. But no, yeah, they actually, they they, they go to the trouble of making sure that that kind of like light panel and that, that side of him is kind of like shorter piece which yeah i'm i'm very much uh very much impressed by i think they actually also i think that the thing they referenced directly was that he wouldn't be at full capacity which actually added yeah. a bit more credence to it there was a line along those lines i didn't note it down but it was something to that that effect now at this point prime starts to scale the, the side of the building with ratchet and ironhide as well the seeker jets make a failed attempt at an airstrike leading to Devastator to make an appearance, and begins climbing the building. At this point, Andy, I literally thought, are they doing a King Kong reference? Yeah. Literally what I I thought of. Yeah. Well, and there was a moment, like, Wheeljack references something about, like, oh, I've seen... I I, I tuned into some, like, Earth movie that was a bit like this, or something to that effect, just to absolutely double down on the fact that Yes, yes, we are making a King Kong reference. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but but also, also but before that, the, the other favourite part of, of this episode that I failed to mention is when they start firing um, Optimus Prime's like arm cannon, like Megatron gets Soundwave to do it, and Soundwave just mashes the fire button like somebody <laughs> playing some kind of like shoot 'em up from like the the, the late 80s. <laughs> like he's he doesn't just like fire it once; he's just there like hammering that button. It's like yeah, I'm. This is great. This is the best fun I've had in quite a while because you know I normally get have to do all the boring communication stuff, but this time they let me fire the gun, and he is making the most of that. <laughs> So, as mentioned, we've got them scaling up the building. Bumblebee and Spike are able to get inside the Decepticon HQ. Don't know how, just going to leave that as it is. They cause Megatron to accidentally fire at the console that Soundwave is at that's controlling Prime's arm, deactivating it. 
It's at this point where outside Devastator grabs Prime and, as you mentioned, Andy, Wheeljack makes the reference of King Kong saying that it's the inspiration of him trying to get helicopters to attack it. <laughs> it's like, sure, whatever. We're going, we're going whole hog on this, are we? Sure thing. <laughs> With Prime's arm now being uh, not being controlled by anything, excuse me, Prime is able to activate... Right, okay, I need to try and explain this. So Prime's arm is now just deactivated at the top of the base. But because it's been deactivated, Prime and his psychic powers that we now know about can now activate the hand, not the arm, the hand to fire the gun, which conveniently hits Devastator, sending it to the ground through the concrete below. Andy. How can he not control his arm, but only his hand? But it, it, it's also kind of weird because the arm does kind of like swat away a couple of like the jets, if I recall as well. So it's I, I don't I don't know what's going on there. Um, it, it all the, the, I, I, the, the, there are a lot of questions around parts of this episode, and that that is definitely one of them. But hey, all, all's well that ends well. King Kong slash Devastator has been defeated. So hurrah! And, uh, and as my final sentence of my note on this episode, read Andy, Megatron and Co. flee, as usual, vows to return, Prime's arm is back in place, hooray, episode ends. Yeah. <laughs> Literally what I wrote down. <laughs> uh, I do have two other random notes I want to bring up, though. Because in case you can't tell everybody, we're done talking about this episode, pretty much. But uh, did you notice when um, when they were like in the sewer system, the Autobots, did you notice what some of the graffiti on the, on the wall said? No, no, I didn't, I didn't spot that. Simply, all caps, WAR! And then, PEACE! And then the word, LOVE. <laughs> Just, sure? Yeah, I mean, hey, I've, I've never been in the sewers in New York. Maybe that is, maybe they did location scouting. Maybe that is exactly what the graffiti in the sewers in New York says. Can you imagine if you go location scouting in the sewers of New York? <laughs> I don't even want to think about that. I mean, de- de- dedication to the cause. Um, I, I, I will also, while, while we're making random notes, um, I did enjoy Sideswipe grabbing Starscream and basically saying, like, call Uncle or I'm going to crash you or whatever he said. And Starscream straight away is just like, Uncle, which A, was pretty <laughs> funny, and B, of course, then Sideswipe's like, I didn't know Decepticons had uncles for just, like, the canned <laughs> laughter moment of the episode. Also, shout out to the moment, I think it was... I can't remember exactly when it was, but there was a moment when Frenzy was riding the subway train, like, controlling it. And it was just a wonderful visual of Frenzy just being at the control, like, yes! <laughs> yeah, that was that was, that was was really good. Actually, yeah, we, we've had, like, good good Frenzy and Rumble moments in these episodes. Like, because kudos to them for their, like, uh, the, for, for their, their attack in that first episode. Like, it, despite Rumble's, like, I'm doing my best. Um, you know, they, they, they did some good work there. Yeah, they did some good work in this episode. Um, also, like, Megatron threatening to melt Optimus Prime down into paper clips very specifically <laughs> which was like that was that was a strange kind of threat but I, I did enjoy that as well i mean he could have just called him prime clips at that point yeah i mean op- op- optimus paper clip yeah, why not <laughs> the optimal paper clip <laughs> i don't know yeah this this episode has got some some fun moments but overall i think the politest way i can put it andy is a bit of a dud 
Yeah, it's really messy. And it, it's, it's a shame because, again, like some of the other episodes that maybe don't quite kind of hit, all of its sort of component ideas are quite good. Like, you know, I mean, for, for all of the, the clumsy parts of it, like the idea of Megatron kind of taking Optimus Prime's head as like a prize is kind of pretty dark and interesting. The general kind of Decepticons take over New York angle, that's pretty strong, but it doesn't really manage to make any of that hang together. And then when you add on the fact that the animation quality is, is kind of iffy in this one as well, like it doesn't really, it doesn't really do this very much felt. This is one of those episodes where I think I really appreciated the voice cast because you could tell they were really trying to put as much into it as they could. But it's one of those ones where you felt like even they were kind of like this, this one's, this one's a bit of an uphill struggle. Like we're gonna we're gonna have to try and sell this one because it's not really selling itself, um, and and that was that was definitely how I came down on it. On like you know it had moments that amused me and entertained me. You know I I will I will never not I will never forget the battle taxis. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not really a good episode. Mm. So from there, everybody, we now move to our two parter story, beginning with episode nineteen, desertion of the Dinobots. Part one. But before we get to that, Andy, I mentioned <laughs> there might be a reason to check out the video version of this podcast this time. Now, what I'm going to do, this won't matter too much for the audio people, but I'm just going to sort of change the layout of how things look on screen for a moment. Because, Andy, I went into my loft earlier and I found something from my childhood which is very relevant. The VHS cassette of Desertion of the Dinobots. Oh man, you, and you, you can you can even you can even date that from like the logo that they've used and the fact that it's completely the wrong Optimus Prime on the box. I know, right? Um, <laughs> so that that's got that's got to be like what like eighty? Is there a date on the back of that? Is that like what eighty nine uh, or something? Eighty eight, eighty nine. I mean, I can tell you the spine is just like flop. <laughs> Wow, is, I mean that was. Oh, yeah, that, that I'll was try and show. Pretty, pretty I'll probably in the edit. I might try and put some actual cleaner photos of this on on screen as well. But like, yeah, that's I mean, we, we can we, we can put some photos on the social feeds as yeah, well. Because yeah, I'm I, I'm curious what year that is. I'm guessing that's like eighty eight or something maybe. Um, in fact, let's open this up. I've not opened this for god knows how many years. So. Who knows what's inside? I mean, it, it it will be a classic VHS moment if there's a completely different cassette inside. <laughs> no, I can confirm it's correct actually, but uh, just for uh, for the purposes of completion. Oh, there you go. Yeah, God, I, I love those like really obviously like printed on a dot matrix printer kind of <laughs> labels. Not not even not even a fancy label. Also, I'm just kind of surprised to see like Channel Five is mentioned on this. I uh, yeah, I think it's not the Channel Five. There was another mm. Channel Five that just did. Home video stuff. Just this box is Also, I like the fact on the front it says "full action-packed adventure." Yeah, is is it just those two episodes? They didn't like just these two episodes. Yeah, okay. just these two. I know, I know some of them. They'd like drop an extra kind of bonus sort of there on, of some other story. Now, do you want me to attempt to read what the synopsis on the back of this is? I say that because it's like <laughs> it's like red on white, but like a really weird red. <laughs> Let me see if I can read this. So. In fact, you know what, no. Let's read this at the end and see how good the synopsis was based on what we recap. How about that? Yeah, let's, let, let's do that. 
There you go. I've also gone up, now got like 20 or 30 year old dust on my hand. So there we go. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, see, that's one of the things like I, because I, I've seen a decent number of like the season two two parters for that very reason that most of them were ended up on VHS, but I have not, I had not seen these episodes before. Mm. So this was like a kind of like Megatron's Master Plan and things I had like vague recollections of. This one was like, why have I not seen this? Like, I'm, I genuinely was surprised that I had not seen this because A, it's a Dinobot episode, and B, like, it's a two parter that was definitely out on videos. So, uh, literally, I've of, just like, proven it. <laughs> yeah. So, I was like, kind of fascinated that it's like, ah, oh, this is this one clearly like passed me by somehow. Yeah. I, I, I want to say in maybe our first episode or when we were like starting off season two specifically, I mentioned that there are some episodes that I remember very clearly. These two episodes, because of that VHS and probably how much I overwatched it, there are so many moments I literally remembered vividly while watching it for this. It was such good fun. So, on to the episode itself. We begin with the Autobots, Optimus Prime, Jazz, Hound, and Mirage on hand to see a test flight of a remote-controlled plane being handled by, as I've written down in brackets here, Andy, new human, Professor Green. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, we cut to the back of a van, which looks similar, like it's Ironhide, but we don't hear him say anything, so why would we think it's him? And we see the familiar sight of Soundwave in his cassette player form. Ravage then appears and attempts to go and do something, at which point another cassette player is in there, it's the Autobot one, and it grabs Ravage's tail, and the scuffle ensues, allowing Soundwave to escape and relay some information to Megatron and Starscream. It turns out this was the back of Ironhide's van. So that was Ironhide. He wants to know what all the racket is about. He transform. He transforms, excuse me. Ravage disappears. Blaster just falls out in a heap and transforms in the process. And once Ironhide realizes Decepticons are here, we should notify Prime. And they go and do that. Now, Andy, I love these episodes. But what the heck? <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 proud heroic Autobots in action, because <laughs> um, this whole thing is just like such a mess. Because it's like, yeah, like how did Soundwave end up in the back of Ironhide? It's a weird. It's, this is weird for two reasons for me. One is that this is kind of all pretty irrelevant to what happens. Like there are a million different ways they could have done this without this really sort of weird and convoluted start. And secondly, like if they really wanted to go down this angle. All it would have taken was a very some kind of short establishing moment of I don't know Spike being an idiot of like oh there's a cassette player here I'll put it in the back of Ironhide or something just to explain how this came to pass but like because the way this is portrayed it seems like Soundwave just rocked up in his robot mode while I don't know Ironhide was taking a nap or something and then just like transformed and just jammed himself in the back of in the back of the van it's absolutely bizarre it's probably the most unfathomable thing that has happened in this series so far. And no, I don't understand either. So many questions. Just, we could we could literally talk about this alone for half an hour, I think. But, yeah, yeah. but the show must go on. <laughs> <laughs> now, a short distance away, we hear... <laughs> All right, I'm just going to say this verbatim. A short distance away, we hear the phrase from Soundwave, Ultra plane completed Megatron. Because the device they were testing, apparently, Andy, was called the Ultra Plane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, no, it's no nega plane, but I guess it'll do. 
Starscream is not happy about this and wants to blow it out the sky. But Megatron says they need to be discreet. Which, even Starscream points out how ludicrous a statement that is based on their past actions. And he is handed a device. Starscream then takes to the sky, heads for the Ultra Plane, drops said device on it, causing it to explode. Prime is notified of the Decepticon activity from what happened in the back of the van, and they head to the wreckage of said Ultra Plane. Elsewhere, at the entrance to... Now, nah, I'm just going to say this. The base, they panned over, like, the front entrance of a base. It just had the letters EKJ in all caps. It's never elaborated what that is, but... At the entrance to EKJ, which is effectively just a big research lab of some kind, Megatron busts a hole in the wall, demanding that the humans surrender the fiber blueprints. Sure, Megatron, sure. And after, and at that point, Starscream then literally manhandles a human, just grabbing him from the ground and just going, where are the plans? And then they're going to bust in the safe where they're kept. But the Autobots arrive, and Jazz does his trademark thing of causing a racket, literally, with some sound, to inhibit Starscream and Soundwave, not Megatron, interestingly, as in Megatron is not affected by this, but Mirage at this point has cloaked himself and tries to steal Megatron's arm cannon. Suddenly, we see that Megatron's outside, motioning for a retreat. Is this an animation error? No, because it is in fact a hologram from Hound. And once Starscream and Soundwave are able to get their senses back, they make haste. There is a bit more of a scuffle inside. Megatron is ultimately booted out unceremoniously and retreats himself. There is a lot that happens there, Andy, but this was fun. It, it was just a fun battle, fun scenario in there. I love the whole jazz stuff as well. Interesting it didn't affect Megatron, because I'm pretty sure it did in the Immobilizer episode. The first episode that had Carly in. Because I seem to recall that being a plot device in that. But, you know, I won't make a big thing about it. But it was just fun to see Jazz do that again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he needs to get some more tapes, because, like, it's always the same song. But, you know, I guess, you know, there's only so much so much music that, uh, <laughs> that you can write for this show. Uh, but, yeah, he's kind of, I don't know, maybe Megatron has just, like, steeled himself by listening to lots of jazz, like, in, in the, the intervening period. Like, when he's not watching travelogues on TV, he's just settling down to some smooth jazz so that he's ready for the, the, next, the next audio bombardment. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, th this is kind of one of those interesting things where like, especially these two parters tend to do this where you, you kind of, you, you have all this setup of that's like a traditional Transformers episode that's almost kind of irrelevant to a certain degree because it's really just a preamble for what's actually going to happen coming up. Um, and so, yeah, this is just kind of almost your sort of generic battle just to get that out of the way before the interesting stuff happens. Um, but once again, yeah, we have the, like, the, the Mirage and Hound, like, MVP duo of kind of doing a lot of the, the good work there. Um, I did enjoy, like, I think it's, um, Soundwave who just, like, proclaims on, oh, like, Megatron's retreating and Starscream's just like, yeah, and what else is new? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, which is, is a good line. Um, but yeah, this is, this, this is a solid recovery from the absolute nonsense that starts this episode, so... <laughs> At this point, we cut to a fun fair where Bumblebee is on the teacup ride with Carly. Carly's back, everyone. Haven't seen her in literally a load of episodes. Where are we at? Episode 19. We saw an episode two, Andy. It's been a while. 
<laughs> yep, it, it has. But yeah, she she is back with a vengeance in uh, in this two-parter. <laughs> now, Bumblebee is saying that the teacup ride isn't fun. So Carly, because we know that she's been like a grad at MIT and whatnot, she just turns off the equilibrium circuit and Bumblebee just starts laughing uncontrollably. It's just, I, I actually really loved that moment. It's such a sweet little moment because yeah, Bumblebee just like gets gets all giggly. He's just like, Ooh, this is fun," <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just, it's really, it's really sweet. Like again, it's one of those things that basically has no kind of real importance to the rest of this episode but it's just a really nice kind of like establishing moment of just like oh hey remember this character you know they're they're smart with technology stuff also you know they're buddies with bumblebee and you know she's she's start kicking around with spike and uh so you know it's, it's just a nice little establishing shot that i i found pretty fun we then see them rapidly heading to an airport to pick up a very dapper looking it's got to be said mr Sparkplug. Yeah, where, where where was he going? Do you think? Like, I th- this is the thing that was bugging me throughout these episodes. It's like, where has Sparkplug been? Where has he come back from? Why is he wearing a suit? Like, there are there are a lot of questions that are unanswered by these episodes, and I want I want the sides the full side story of like Sparkplug's trip. Like, what was it a vacation? Was he meeting a lady? Like, what's going on? Where's Mrs. Sparkplug? You know, I I so much that I want to know. Is he actually a Decepticon sympathiser because his suit was purple? You know? <laughs> well, I mean, that might tie into something that happens at the very end of this two-parter, so maybe we should we should hold that thought. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, as mentioned, they've gone to pick him up, but suddenly they see some military jets heading into a hangar at a commercial airport. Hmm. Turns out it's a Decepticon base. Andy, I think we need to add a new bit to the bingo card of new Decepticon base. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, yeah, it was every every episode. Which also, I mean, hilarious thing that happens around this is that obviously, like Bumblebee raises the alarm that he's found like Decepticons at the airport. He never mentions to anybody which airport, and they're all just like, "We'll be right there, cool." And it's like that. There are quite a few airports. You might want to be a bit more specific. But but Andy, it's the airport. <laughs> yeah, the airport. The, 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 the airport that Sparkplug is landing at. What more do you need to know? Now, as you mentioned, Bumblebee tries to contact the Autobots for help, but the Autobots are spread thin. So it's decided that the Dinobots will be the ones t- to do the job, so to speak. But they are reluctant to help. They say that they don't know why they, they want to help, but they will this time. Wheeljack then muses to himself, he really needs to fix their personality circuits. The Dinobots arrive at the airport, literally standing behind a jumbo jet on the runway i i don't know if you saw this andy but i howled with laughter you could just see the tops of their heads and their feet and then there's bumblebee just standing next to them just so dumb but great yeah yeah i i, I feel like the, the, this two-parter as a whole like i feel like the animators have a lot of fun with parts of this um and i don't know whether it came from like the writers or the storyboarders or like from the animators themselves but there's lots of kind of fun visual moments throughout and i feel like that's one of the early ones that kind of clues you in that it feels like everyone's having a good time making these episodes now it is a bad day at the office for the decepticons because to say that they get embarrassed all over the place is an understatement they are just utterly tranced. Rumble was like carrying some oil drums or something, which when he gets knocked, he drops them into the path of the Seeker Jets who are trying to run on the ground. They fumble on them. Rumble then also has the great line, all right, clown, 
we'll tumble rumble style, then just gets swatted by a tail into Megatron, into the computer of the base, and Megatron is just like effectively going, the heck. <laughs> yeah, it's, this whole thing is it's a really great like slapstick fight. I mean, because it starts with like Sludge just like punts Blitzwing into a hangar, just like literally drop kicks a tank, <laughs> which is just a great kind of bit of visual imagery. Then yeah, you just have like all the the tripping over tripping over barrels and yeah, just like you know rumble crumbles as it were um, when it actually comes down to it and uh, yeah that, that's that's some good fun again just like it seemed to be having a really good fun with like animating this stuff so ultimately that that hangar that we mentioned is just completely trounced demolished totaled pick your pick your appropriate word and despite making a final charge they are they are just handily beaten are the decepticons bumblebee even uttering the line sizzling cybertron it almost seemed too easy it's almost like I'm in a 60s Batman episode saying that. <laughs> but while celebrating, and now back in their regular form, not their dinosaur form, Megatron and Skywarp just blow up a couple of planes nearby, and we get an almighty explosion, and the Dinobots are downed. Red Alert, Hoist, and Inferno all roll in, and they load the Dinobots, quite literally, into the back of one of the destroyed planes, and they haul that back to HQ, where they are tended to. Now, based on a line of dialogue from Spike, I think it was, we are now six hours later, and the Dinobots are still being worked on. But the likes of Ratchet and Wheeljack are having difficulty trying to repair them because of the Earth tools that they are working with, and not the ones, the high, the high quality caliber tools that they had on Cybertron. Back at the airport, uh, I was about to say reports are underway. That's not the right word. Back at the airport, repairs are underway with Andy's favourite Transformer Power Glide loaded up with bricks and Iron Hide ready to put some cement down because they are rebuilding, I'm guessing, a storage hut? It wasn't that big, but sure. And they, they're able to do it in rapid time. Andy, I feel the note to point, I feel the need to point this out. Remember how for many, many episodes we've talked about how quickly the Decepticons can build things? We've literally now seen in real time how freaking quick Autobots can build something. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've completely changed my opinion of Power Glide now I've seen how quickly he can lay bricks. <laughs> it's like, that, 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 that guy's got some skills. So, like, kudos to him for that. Which, to be fair, also kind of, like, fixed... Or at least kind of answered one of my questions because, like, I was sat there watching all these jets being blown up just thinking, like, man, who's footing the repair bill for this? Because, like, you know, you've just totaled a number of jets, like, a hangar's in pieces. You know, who's 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 picking up the mess from this one? But, no, apparently the Autobots are at least making goods and building something somehow. <laughs> I've just got this vision now of there being, like, a little four-panel sidebar comic of just Power Glide, Bricklayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, maybe that was like his his like um, his occupation on Cybertron. Who who knows? Which, which by the way, uh, like in, enjoyable little bit of kind of foreshadowing in this episode of this sudden like wistful like ah yeah Cybertron. It was great. I know though. they had all this technology. If only we had that. Like wink to camera. I know it, it's. I, I actually forgot to make mention of that because it is the most subtle way of mentioning something like that, and it it works so well. Yeah, because again, having not seen these episodes as well, it was kind of a weird, like, why are they suddenly bringing this up? And literally, like, Mirage just brings up some footage of Cybertron on Teletran, and we have a little kind of shot of just like, yeah, 
Cybertron. And because I had that thought of just like weird that they went to the trouble of like actually animating some stuff on Cybertron that we've not seen before. Mm. Like, why would they do that just randomly in this episode? <laughs> and we we will find out very soon. <laughs> So as mentioned, we're currently laying bricks and then I think it's Grapple tries to put the roof on the building, but it crumbles. And uh, we then get the uh, the lines of dialogue as, as Grapple is trying to do this. Grapple saying, I don't need your help. My precision is uncanny. And then the building collapses and Power Glide Andy, this might cha- re-change your tune about him, then has the line of, Tin Canny is more like it. Ha ha ha! Yeah, what, what what a jerk! I mean, to be fair, I, I was too busy. I was too busy like writing down the note. Just does Grapple suck at building? I mean, as it, as it turns out, kind of unfair because this this is again foreshadowing of what is about to occur. But like, it's sort of you know having seen his uh, his sort of base get get trashed in. The, the pre one of the previous episodes and having had that like grapple specific episode where he's building that thing with the constructor cons and then gets to the end is like oh i don't know how to put the top on this and it's like you know and then he goes to just put a roof on this building and it all falls down it's like ah maybe maybe you just suck at this i don't know <laughs> um but uh, but no I, I was being unfair as it turns out because again foreshadowing we then cut to a nearby desert location check your bingo card now with the Decepticons flying overhead, and suddenly Ravage just randomly ejects from Soundwave and is like a cat that's a bit shaken up and just kind of walking around in a circle, and no one really knows what's going on. Then, without warning, all the Decepticons just fall out of the sky. Just without warning, what the heck is going on? Rumble then just starts trying to attack Megatron, and he says, I can't control myself! And then it's just, what the heck is going on? At Autobot HQ, the Dinobots have been repaired, and Prime says that's great news and not a moment too soon because the Decepticons are on the rampage again. Prime tells them to transform and head out, but Grimlock refuses. All of them collectively saying that they won't take orders from Prime, they only listen to Grimlock. Wheeljack even says, but you guys love to fight! And then Grimlock responds with something to the effect of, us fight when we want to, and goodbye. We then cut to a power station where the Decepticons are making Energon cubes. Some old school tactics here, Andy. You know, good stuff. Megatron musing to himself at this point that perhaps they just had some bad Energon and that's disrupted their systems a bit. The Autobots arrive and transform. Well, except for Jazz, who has to get a literal kicking from Ironhide in order to transform. <laughs> yeah, which is, again, like a little, a little great bit of kind of voice work there where Jazz is just like, thanks. I think because <laughs> it's like you literally just booted me and it it fixed the problem but also you just booted me. It is the equivalent of you trying to fix your old TV just by smacking it on the side. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a wonderful moment. So Megatron spots them and tries to start saying it's the Autobots, but it comes out like it's the Auto. It's the Auto. <laughs> Because he can't say it. At which point, Starscream says something to the effect of, Ah, oh, looks like your voice chip's gone. I guess this means I'm the leader of the Decepticons. <laughs> and then proceeds to take to the sky and then rapidly crashes so quickly. Yeah. There are problems aplenty going on for every Transformer, be it Autobot or Decepticon. They're all malfunctioning. Abilities aren't working. They can't transform. It is not a good day at the office for anyone. Everyone is in a bad way. But at this point, Megatron tries to take the the advantage 
and wants to trap Optimus Prime under some falling debris of a power, like one of the big power uh, towers that you get that hold up the power lines. Pylons. Thank you. Thank you. Because English is not my first language, apparently. <laughs> your, your, your voice chip has failed. Now <laughs> I'm in charge. No! <laughs> <laughs> he transforms into his handgun form. Starscream is ready to fire the handgun. Megatron even saying, I don't miss even when I'm this close. At which point, his gun form malfunctions. They can't even escape properly. There's a wonderful moment of Megatron trying to like jump into the sky, and he just can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really... Everyone is not doing that good. Everyone is confused. It is not a good time for Autobots or Decepticons. So before we get on to what happens next, Andy, any additional thoughts you want to give about that? Because a lot happens there. And I, I, I mean, I'll get to this in my overall thoughts at the end of the episode, but I think because of the such unique scenario that's happening and how ridiculous, in a good way, all of this is, it just stands out so well. Yeah, and there are a couple of things I really like about this. One is the general subtlety of the foreshadowing. It's like you know that the the whole thing with Grapple kind of failing to to put the roof on that building. You can just write off as like, oh, that's just a goof that the episode's having. That's not meaningful to anything. But actually, it's kind of like your first your first little look that something's going wrong. And even like Jazz not being able to transform, you're just like, okay, well, you know. That, that stuff happens, right? Fair, the, fair the, enough. The Decepticons being absolutely crap in the battle a few minutes earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's just like, well, that's kind of peak Decepticon. You know, they do that sometimes. And and so, yeah, all of that stuff just kind of makes sense on it on its own terms. And then suddenly you kind of get the zoom out to the bigger picture, which is just so fantastically depicted. Like, it's not just a boring, like, oh, no, nobody can transform anymore. Like, they really go for it and have fun with with that with everybody just kind of staggering around like you say Megatron does his kind of like you know take off kind of jump into the sky and then just like jumps up and just lands again and just like, looks like a complete idiot um and then you know just like Ironhide freezes himself and yeah it's like it's a great point like Ravage tries to attack Optimus Prime just inadvertently transforms and Optimus Prime just like drops him in a bin basically <laughs> it's like thanks that was really easy and there's like so many really great little ideas it, again just feels like everybody had a lot of fun with this premise of like what are the dumbest things that you can do in this battle scenario when everybody is malfunctioning and i almost just wanted less of like an entire like blooper reel of this kind of stuff of just like watching transformers just like being rubbish basically <laughs> at autobot hq everyone is incredibly fatigued perceptor is actually stuck in microscope mode and he hypothesizes I can't even say that. He hypothesizes that because they have been exposed to Earth's atmosphere for literally millions of years, an element that is essential to their mechanical operations is deteriorating. I'm pretty sure I wrote that down verbatim, so I'm glad I wrote that down. However, the element Cybertonium is only available on Cybertron, and that's the element in question. They then also deduce the only way to get hold of more Cybertonium is to go back to Cybertron via the Decepticon space bridge. Spike and Carly run in, saying that they have in intercepted a transmission from Shockwave, saying he is going to send some Cybertonium via the space bridge. Convenience, eh? But they have a dilemma, because 
none of the Autobots are actually able to go to the space bridge. We then get the following conversation between Carly and Spike, with Carly saying the following first. Spike, what about the Dinobots? What about them? They were built here on Earth, and there isn't any Cybertonium on, on Earth. So? Don't be so thick, come on. <laughs> just... I don't know why, I just got a real kick out of Carly just saying, don't be so thick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which, I mean, it, it, again, it does feel like the, the recurring theme here of, like, Carly definitely, like, the brains of the outfit here. Spike is... I mean, he's not even really the brawn, he's just kind of there, basically. <laughs> so they now suggest contacting the Dinobots to get them to help, as they don't have Cybertonium in them. Wheeljack also confirming this and Spark Plug agreeing with the idea. But they need to convince the Dinobots. Apparently they are somewhere like 40 miles away according to Teletram. They then go into Carly's car who does her dramatic fast driving. And when they get there, Grimlock in particular is none too impressed that they've been followed. And is all but ready to just kill the humans and stamp on them. Because Grimlock's an angry bastard it turns out. We didn't get the following lines of dialogue just before that moment happened. From Sparkplug. Grimlock, we need your brilliant help. And then he proceeds to try and crush them. And Swoop then flies down and says, Me Swoop want to hear the brilliant part. <laughs> just great dialogue. Sparkplug outright says that the Autobots are dying. Which I think this is the first time that word has been used in the show, Andy. Just outright dying. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like, because even when Optimus Prime has been dying, like it's never really been put in those terms before. Mm. It's always like he's in bad shape or some some kind of like analogy to that. Mm. And obviously, only the Dinobots can save them, but Grimlock doesn't care. Now, upon hearing the phrase Cybertonium being mentioned, Grimlock deduces this involves Cybertron, which they've never been to, and so says, "We'll do it." At the Space Bridge, the Constructicons, who we're, I guess, Andy, at this point, we're led to believe don't have Cybertonium in them either? Yeah. I mean, that would make sense, because, yeah, we, we, we definitely know that they were also built on Earth, so mm -hmm. it's at least been intimated, so that would, yeah. that would scan. So they are trying to gather the Cybertonium that has been delivered on the Space Bridge, but they have a fight on their hands because the Dinobots show up. They even get into Devastator form, but ultimately, the Dinobots go into the space bridge and are transported to Cybertron. Upon arrival, Shockwave, quite literally, is outnumbered five to one. Sparkplug then tries to contact Grimlock, and he sees that Grimlock is inside a location, and he can't detect him on his scanners. Grimlock, confused at how the heck someone's contacted him when he's on Cybertron, is none too impressed about Sparkplug's call, and makes it known they have no intention of coming back. Uh, they have no intention of coming back to the bossy Autobots, quote unquote. Carly says now that they have got no choice and they need to head to Cybertron themselves. They're ready to go in Carly's car, and Sparkplug at that point gives Spike a two-way communications device, Andy, which of all the design choices we could have had. I don't think it looking like a band-aid you put on your thumb would be one of them. No, it's, it's, it's an interesting an interesting call. And I, I always feel like this was a deliberate, like, we, we can't just do the normal sort of boring, you know, like something behind your ear or something like that. Like, let's try and do something a little bit weird and out there. And it's just like, ah, plaster on your thumb, I guess. 
They get into Carly's car, she shows off her driving skills, avoiding Devastator, and they go launching into the space bridge and are transported to Cybertron. But on the other side of the bridge, Shockwave is already alerted to the fact that there are intruders on the way. And as the door starts opening, just immediately starts firing and we see an explosion as the episode draws to a close. I mean, Andy, I can wax lyrical about this two-parter in general, but this episode is so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially once it kind of, you know, gets past its its initial stuff, which is, you know, pretty solid in its own right and gets into the meat of the episode. It's great. Like, yeah, the, 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 the malfunctioning stuff is all really fun and also just, like, makes for a really interesting, like, story beat. Um, it makes for a really good excuse to have to rely on the Dinobots and then also on the humans. Um, all of that is is kind of really great. Uh, again, you know, we've not had a lot, a whole lot of Cybertron in this series, so you know, a trip to Cybertron is always fun. Um, I find it hilarious how Shockwave just keeps getting uninvited guests in his office. <laughs> like every time that lift goes, he must be paranoid at this point. Like, oh god, who is it this time? Because it's always some kind of Autobot ambush just like comes crashing into his his workshop or whatever it is. Um, you'd have, you'd have think he'd have changed the locks or something by now, but no, apparently not. Um, also, at the end of that episode, Shockwave has a little mini Shockwave gun. He has a little tiny version of himself <laughs> that he fires, and it's like, is that is that his child? Is that just is that just like did he make a gun based around himself? Like, what's going on there? Again, unanswered questions in these episodes that I want to know the answers to. <laughs> uh, but all of that aside, yeah, this is this is really great. Like, I I really really enjoyed this and. Again, it just feels like everybody is having fun across uh, across the stack of, of creating this episode. Uh, and, and also, spare a thought for poor Jazz, who's just like, by the end of this episode, is stuck like half transformed in the arc. And it's like, of all the things to go wrong, like you're in a pretty bad place there. At least other, pe- other Transformers, uh, other Autobots are just at least fully transformed and can just fall about a bit. But he's just like back half car, front half robot, and is just like of no use to anybody. I will add that I think part, this is this will probably be part of my overall thoughts coming up a bit later. But I, I mentioned it in earlier episodes that we've talked about. I love it when they go to Cybertron. You get to see Cybertron, and just the idea that we get to see more Cybertron. Just heading into part two, just always had me chomping at the bit to watch these episodes. It's probably why I've worn that VHS out so much. <laughs> yeah, and plus even more so here. Like this isn't kind of like. None, none of the the kind of the good guys in this episode have been to Cybertron before. Like this is kind of like new territory for all of them in in sort of different ways for like the Dinobots and for for Carly and Spike, which sort of adds a little bit of an extra angle to it as well, uh, which uh, which I enjoy. Um, the, the the one other thing that I didn't mention that I liked in this episode was um, when they they try to kind of corral the uh the dinobots into helping at the airport and yeah grimlock's like oh you know we 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 don't like taking orders and and slag's like follow-up to that is is uh me slag no like anything (laughs) it's like well you should you should you should sign up on twitter like you'd 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 have a great following there um but there there has got to be a slag parody account on twitter somewhere (laughs) if there's not it's a shame they're they're missing out but that was my favorite my favorite line of the episode slag just doesn't like anything (laughs) 
from there, we now move to episode 20, Desertion of the Dinobots, part two. Now, the episode begins, Andy, with what I feel is a continuity error. I don't know if you agree or not, because at the end of the last episode, and even in the recap that starts this, we see Shockwave firing into the lift where the doors open for the space bridge. And then when it starts, the door is closed and Shockwave's just standing there. And Carly and Spike are just waiting in the car inside for the door to open. Something went a bit awry there, but I can let it go. But it is just weird that they showed that same shot in the recap of the first episode. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things that I, I feel like all, all cartoons tend to do. And this show does occasionally as well, where yeah, the, the, the way that pans out kind of feels a bit discombobulating. As the door to the entrance opens, as mentioned, Shockwave is waiting outside. The door slowly opens, and before Carly can put her foot down on the accelerator, Shockwave fires a beam that simply just makes the car disappear out from under them both. We then get a fun chase sequence around Shockwave's lab, where he is blasting machines and robots in there, and they are just disappearing from sight as well. Eventually, the two miserable glitches, as Shockwave calls them, are able to get away by going into almost like a small crevice in a wall, and then they fall down to another panel below. But interestingly, Carly points out, Shockwave's not firing at us. What's going on? Then they notice in front of them, there is a pit of some kind in front of them, with a giant pool of blue light at the bottom of it. They can't touch anything either, as it's shocking them, so they're just stuck. Carly guessing, surmising, whatever the correct word is, that this must be a master computer of some kind. Spike then makes use of his two-way thumb communicator to contact Autobot HQ, with Sparkplug able to act as a guide for them because Teletram is creating a simulated picture on their screen of where they are, depicting them wherever they are going through inside Cybertron. It turns out they are indeed inside a computer that... If I heard the dialogue right, Andy, is powering what is still functional on Cybertron. So a pretty important computer, one would say. Yeah, indeed. And also, like, I mean, one of the things that this episode does as a whole really well is kind of fills out little bits of Cybertron lore. And that's just like a nice little throwaway moment. Again, we've sort of had a few of these before when Cybertron's been mentioned of like what is left and what is actually active and running on Cybertron. And this is another kind of clue at you know cue that there's not really a lot left at this point in terms of you know energy and things that are active and the fact that there's this one system that's kind of seems to be running what whatever remains is kind of like an interesting point both in terms of like where the decepticons are in terms of like superiority on cybertron and also on the fact that there's not really a whole lot left running at this juncture Now, that blue light I mentioned, it turns out that that is the energy power source in question. Carly is then able to get into a panel on a wall and is planning to tamper with it to see if she can try and change the controls for the space bridge. But a power surge of some sort occurs and Carly is shocked and sent partway down the pit. And then suddenly more shocks and explosions start happening and the room falls into darkness. Spike then uses his photon light that Wheeljack conveniently gave him, which I think he adds it's like the brightest light source on Earth. And we see this to a point because Carly has to keep her eyes closed because it's so damn bright. Now, during all the commotion, Carly has twisted her ankle. So Spike goes down to help, 
But Spike being Spike, he has superpowers on Earth, but clearly not on Cybertron because now they're stuck. But they follow some directions from Spark Plug and they are able to get out at the bottom of the pit because the energy source has now been deactivated. And they descend deeper into Cybertron. Even somehow just stumbling upon like a stack of Energon cubes, which Spike quite rightly says, Why is there Energon here? I thought there wasn't any left. Unanswered question number 12, Andy, I guess, or whatever yeah, number that, at this point. That, 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 that's probably like Shockwave's secret drinking stash. <laughs> it's just like not told. It just keeps that from Megatron, because when, when he needs a tipple, you know, he's, it's there for him. Speaking of Shockwave, he informs Megatron that the space bridge will not be operational until the computer is repaired. And he has dispatched a Sentinel, as he calls it, to take care of the humans that escaped. It turns out that the Sentinel is, I guess you could describe it as a primitive looking robot that's got tank treads, basically. That's how I've described it. But that said, didn't do a good job because Car Carly and Spike evade it by trapping its head in a door. Yeah, which was, I'm, I'm not sure whether that was always the plan all along or whether Spike was just incredibly slow to close that door. Because I felt like Carly's intimation was like, Let's just shut the door behind it and it'll stop it for a while. Whereas Spike kind of dithered for long enough that the robot got its kind of head in the door and then then it closed. But, you know, I guess all's well that ends well. So, you know, well, well done, Spike. Yeah, well done, Spike. And your superpowers of holding a giant robot door back. Yeah. I mean, at, at least at least they went to the trouble of animating it in such a way that you could tell it was like a strain on him and that mm. he was kind of struggling to keep it open. It wasn't like his kind of like running as fast as a car where he just made it look really easy. There was at least, he at least sold us on the fact that no, this, is, this is quite tough for him. <laughs> He's not been hitting those weights at the gym recently, clearly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Their next destination is Wheeljack's old laboratory. Apparently there is a supply of the... I've totally forgot what it's called. Uh, Cybertonium, sorry, because it wasn't in my note. There, there is a supply of Cybertonium in there, according to Teletram. Also worth noting at this point that Spike is carrying Carly around, because in the nicest way to put it, her hobbling is slowing them down. So this is a far, this is a far quick way of doing it, but Spike crucially says, I will not leave you alone. Suddenly, Carly spots a shadowy figure in the distance that's been following them, but it quickly disappears. They manage to get to Wheeljack's lab. Carly manages to crack the door code. So clearly she also knows alien code as well of how to crack the code on that. They get inside and Spike begins searching for the Cybertonium. There is a loud banging that can be heard on the ceiling above. S Spike is scrambling to try and find a weapon inside a, a closet of any kind. He grabs a hand, I say a hand cannon, a gun, let's just call it like it is and begins firing at the ceiling once there is a hole there and debris begins to fall down. It turns out the banging on the ceiling was Swoop! Swoop goes on to explain that when they arrived, they were captured by Shockwave because they were overrun by an army of Sentinels. He was able to get away, but the rest of the Dinobots were taken to the Cybertonium Pits. Their next destination, the Cybertonium Pits. Also at this point, Carly's ankle has now healed up a bit. So you could say the team is back to full capacity and they've even got Swoop with them as well. Yeah, who, who, who knew that a sprained ankle could be like, you know, could just disappear that quickly. It's such a throwaway thing as well. It's just like, what about your ankle? That's oh, fine now. <laughs> move on, next scene. So you know what? I would defend Carly slightly here, Andy. And this is a weird way to defend this. 
because I go like on a lot of hikes and treks and stuff like that, occasionally if you roll your ankle, if you just kind of walk through it, you can just kind of get it to a point where, I won't say you don't notice it, but it kind of eases up. But the part I can't defend is that she wasn't walking on it for ages. So in theory, it yeah. just swelled. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also just like... It, I, I, I guess they just wanted an excuse for Spike to carry Carly for a bit, just to kind of like establish that relationship, because mm. that literally seems to be well. And I guess just to have her be like inactive for a bit in a in in a physical sense, mm. to to kind of let let Spike do something basically. <laughs> um, also, also really interesting how you did kind of expected this episode to try and be way more mysterious with who the silhouette is, but like it's clearly Swoop in both of the shots that he appears. They don't try. They don't try to obfuscate it at all. There is part of me that wonders, like, maybe on, like, a 1980s TV set, they assumed, like, it's probably not going to be enough that people can make it out. And in 2021 on our 4K TVs or whatever, it's just like, a swoop. Um, <laughs> but, like, that that's kind of a really interesting sort of directorial choice for me that as much as there is, there's quite a lot of dramatic tension, like, in this episode as a whole. Um, and But that moment, it kind of, it doesn't, go all in on trying to make it like a dramatic like this could be anybody like this could be shockwave it could be some other decepticon it could be an autobot we don't know who it is like it, it, it just goes straight in as just like nah swoop there it is um and i just swoop, find that there kind of, it is <laughs> i kind of find it fascinating that that's that's the decision that they made there and like it's it's fine and i kind of like it because it's not like the predictable like super mysterious thing but it's just it's just unusual and interesting it makes you wonder if maybe they would if, if we could have seen carly and spike walking around more of cybertron before that point maybe they would have perhaps got a bit more tension out of it because they definitely could have made it longer like you said but but, yeah. that, but then it also adds a different level of tension because you're thinking is that swoop and then you start thinking wait where are the dinobots yeah yeah i mean there, there is that and there's also like you kind of one of the interesting things about the Dinobots is you never really completely know what side they're on because they are kind of like, you know, a bit of a wild card. So, you know, it could be that Swoop is going to, you know, trade them in for, like, I don't know, a trip on the space bridge or, like, to borrow Shockwave's tiny little gun version of himself or something. So, uh, you know, there, there, there are angles to that as, as well. So maybe that's what they were going for. I do like it from a very tiny continuity perspective that on Earth when Grimlock was about to crush them in the car, it was Swoop that came down and saved them. So it's kind of yeah. a little follow-through line on that as well. I do like that. Yeah, this does weirdly almost like as much as it's sort of a Dinobot labelled episode, it's kind of a best, it's more of a Swoop episode in a lot of in a, in a lot of ways, a Swoop story, which is, is nice to see because like he's kind of, in terms of personality, he's probably kind of like the most interesting of the Dinobots in a lot of ways. Um, and also, he's also a character that gets really short shrift in the comics, like where he's always like deactivated or getting deactivated it seems oh really so like yeah he, he kind of spends a lot of his time like in a bad in a bad state like him and sunstreaker are kind of the two like you know always on the treatment table characters it feels like in the in the g1 comics so i, I was like quite happy like oh we get we get some swoop time because you don't you don't get a lot of swoop time swoop normal. time great phrase <laughs> So as they are walking around Cybertron, Carly is musing how much Cybertron is just starting to grow, like more, more and more. And then Spike is like, I get more tired and tired because of these giant staircases that are too big for humans. They end up at a 
Cybertronic Mass Trans System, i.e. the Underground, to take them to the Cybertonian Pit. But they encounter a point where the tube is broken after having gone through, like, gravity-defying levels of space tubes and stuff like that. But now they are also too deep into the planet to be able to communicate with Earth. The three end up wandering around aimlessly and end up in a garage of some sort with some primitive Autobots, let's say. And while they're walking around, they manage to trigger a couple of automated defense systems, one of which actually damages Swoop's wing. But, but they keep setting off traps unaware, but because they have Swoop with them, they're actually able to counteract the traps accordingly. Then they encounter heat-seeking missiles, because, you know, sure. And this leads to a fun moment of Swoop carrying around both Carly and Spike with them both hanging on, but Swoop is too damaged to be able to fly, then suddenly remembers, oh, I can transform, goes back into his regular form and just shoots the missiles down. (laughs) Always a bit random, but I did always, always love that moment. Now, at this point, they end up at, let's say, what looks like a very old part of Cybertron. And they go inside a little building, and there's some kind of viewing screen there. Carly somehow knows how to work this, because, you know, she is the brains of the bunch, quite clearly. At more to the point, she is the brains of the bunch, I should say. And then Andy, what I would best describe as a laser disc, begins playing. <laughs> Cybertronium laser discs. And we actually get Cybertron history. I think this is why I love these episodes so much, and probably why I wore this tape out to death. Because you just actually get Cybertron history in this episode, as well as going through it. Would you like... And I did actually write the full quote down, which I'll write down in a moment, but I'll let you expand on your thought quickly. Yeah, it's a really good, like, bit of deep lore. And it's quite a kind of lengthy little sequence as well, that, you know, explains that... You know, Cybertron, it hasn't just been a single war that's waged this entire time, like, that it's had, you know, all these cessations and backs back and forths where, you know, various sides have been, you know, on on the on the up, you know, there have been Autobot leaders and then the piece has been broken by the Decepticons, etc, etc. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting kind of brief potted history of what happened on Cybertron, um, you know, in terms of both the technology and kind of going from very sort of primitive machines to the Transformers that we know now. And yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah, that's just like really fascinating stuff. And the fact that they took the time and thought to do that at all is super cool, to be honest, because it's like it doesn't really make any difference to like the the story at hand in this episode but they still went and did it anyway and i and i very much kind of approve of that so the, the the sequence in question has the following narration not from narrator guy it should be said but is as follows millions of years ago cybertron was a planet of peace until the, the decepticons lusting for power began a terrible war not designed for combat, the Autobots were, sub- were overwhelmed and subjugated by their evil opponents. While many Autobots fled Cybertron, and at that point we also see a couple of ships looking like the Ark leaving Cybertron in the video, a few Valiant survivors devised new tactics and launched a counter-offensive on their arch foes. And this began a terrible series of wars. Many times both sides have claimed victory, but this has been short-lived, for the Autobots have overthrown the Decepticon tyrants, and likewise, Decepticon treachery has toppled many a peaceful Autobot ruler. 
And to this day, the war rages on, end quote. Just really succinct, really simple. And like I mentioned, it, the, the actual visuals that they give you show kind of how primitive everything looks. And they even show, like I said, some ARC ships leaving when they talk about Autobots fleeing. Which does make me wonder, Andy, is that the subtle tie-in to how we get more Autobots joining down the line? Yeah, I mean, potentially. And obviously, you know, we had stuff like, you know... Jetfire, etc., the Insecticons that, that are clearly, you know, been sort of out and about prior to that point. Which, by the way, how, how come Jetfire didn't have this whole Cybertonium issue, like, way before the other Autobots? And where is Jetfire right now, anyway? Because surely he would have been the first person to suffer from that because he'd been stranded on Earth longer than the Autobots had. But anyway, I digress. It's a fair... Okay, I'm going to try and answer this, but I'm going to fail. <laughs> so... Is he around during the ultimate doom at that point? I'm just trying to think, like, would he have been near Cybertron? Uh, because realistically, I mean, he... if you want to call it like it is, realistically, Starscream should be the only one that's fine because he's the only one that's been back to Cybertron. Well, yeah, him and Megatron, well, technically. But but yeah, because, I mean, there, there was that whole... Because, I mean, like, Wheeljack's been back to Cybertron. I think, yeah, because wasn't that, like... Jetfire, Wheeljack, and Bumblebee all went on a mission back to Cybertron. Yeah, because they had Chip with them, didn't they? Yeah, but I, I guess like none of them took on any Cybertonium at that point, so mm. maybe that makes no difference. But I but they, but they did go to Wheeljack's lab. <laughs> they did, yeah. If, if only they'd known that they needed to pick that up as well. And they could have taken that laser disc of Cybertron history, because it would have been <laughs> interesting to show people. But hey-ho. Now, well, there we go. But but yeah, it's still really interesting stuff, though. And it's really cool, like you say, that they actually went to the trouble of showing this in the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's it feels like there's... It'd be really interesting to, like, have a breakdown of the entire, like, writing process for this story in particular. Because it feels like there were clearly ambitions to do more than just directly have this particular you know because because this this isn't really as much as it's desertion of the dinobots like i say this isn't really a dinobot episode in a sense like it has far broader you know aims and goals than that and it feels like it has a lot of ambition of things it wants to do and show um that you know even other two parters haven't necessarily had um, and, and I do I do really appreciate it for, for that. Like, right the way through to kind of showing, you know, some of the early Autobots, you know, transforming into sort of weapon, you know, slash vehicle modes. And there, there's there's a lot of thought that's gone into it. And, you know, it's it's really cool to, to, to have that, especially, you know, when it's set on an episode where you have some humans on Cybertron and, you know, again, the Dinobots that have no prior knowledge of, of you know, the planet. Yeah, the, the title for this two-parter is a bit of a red herring while not being a red herring. Yeah, for sure. Now, as they come to finish watching the laser disc, suddenly three unknown robots, a couple of them being Sentinels, break in, but we come to find out they are working for Shockwave. They incapacitate Swoop and take all three of them to the Cybertonium pit. We come to see that the other Dinobots are trapped inside an energy cage of some sort, working in said Cybertonium pit. Each Dinobot seems zombie-like, let's say, and Carly determines, after analysing both, I think, Grimlock and then Swoop, that the Decepticons have bypassed the memory circuits of the Dinobots. Spike says, can you fix them? 
Carly responds with, can an Autobot roll? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I, 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 guess, I guess good good, good quips, not something that they teach at MIT. So I can't that one. Carly works her magic and the Dinobots are grateful for this and they all hatch a plan to get out of there. The plan is a diversion that sees Grimlock and Spike arguing with Grimlock refusing to want to work with the human. The... The Super Sentinel, I'll call it, because we don't actually know what the guy's name is, tells Shockwave, the Dinobots won't work with the humans. And Shockwave says something to the effect of, we'll get rid of them. <laughs> so they open the cage, and the plan is in motion. They do a jailbreak, effectively. And we get all sorts of stuff happening. Robots being destroyed, and whatnot. Grimlock, interestingly, somehow knows how to get back to the surface? To, to Shockwave's lab? Don't know how... Just going to go with that, considering it's his first time being there. And they all follow his lead. Now, back at Autobot HQ, Sparkplug makes it known that they have basically managed to hack the Decepticon computer, and they have reset the Space Bridge opening location to be by Autobot HQ. The Dinobots arrive in Shockwave's lab, and Shockwave is overrun before he can try and work out why the heck he has lost control of the Space Bridge, the Dinobots and the humans get inside the Space Bridge entrance and they arrive back on Earth at Autobot HQ. The Autobots are repaired. Hooray! And Prime makes Carly and Spike honorary Autobots, giving them each a medal with the emblem on it. And the Dinobots are congratulated on their actions, which, sure, Prime, you might want to have a chat with them first, but sure. And then Grimlock says, crucially, they'll follow orders until they feel like they won't. And the episode ends. So we have no idea if the Decepticons are actually still alive, mind you. Just putting that out there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's a strange one as well, because a lot of these two parts, you usually end with some kind of, like, Megatron, like, you know, next time Prime or whatever. But it doesn't, it doesn't kind of, yeah, square the circle on that at all. Like, this is very much, this could have been the last episode ever of Transformers and they just leave the Decepticons to die. Which, I mean, because there's kind of, like, there's almost a potentially interesting angle there from, like, the Autobot point of view of just like, well, you know, as fellow Transformers, you know, we can't let them die like this, so we'll let them have some of the Cybertonium so that they can survive, or to do something with that, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bother itself with that that trifling detail at all. So that concludes Desertion of the Dinobots. Andy, like I said, I, I love this two-part storyline, mainly because of the amount of Cybertron that's involved in it, I think. Because I just love the idea of like going to Cybertron and looking around it and learning about the history. But for you, be it if you want to analyse both episodes together or just the second one now, thoughts on this two-parter, given it's the first time you've ever seen it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably one of my favourite episodes of Season 2 thus far. Like, it's a really... It's a really good core concept. Like I say, it's it's a, a set of, epi of two episodes that feels like it wants to be a bit more ambitious than just having the whole Cybertonium storyline. It wants to do something with it in terms of its human characters, in terms of, you know, the, the broader lore and, you know, the, the, the war on Cybertron and Cybertron as a whole. And, you know, it, it picks up all of that stuff and kind of manages to make it all work. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I do have a question, which is, why have they only just given Spike, like, an honorary, honorary Autobot badge? 
Like, has he not done enough already? Like, he's been around since the start, and he's helped them numerous times, and this is the point where it's like, ah, yeah, sure, I guess you're an honorary Autobot. Which also then leads to my follow-on question, why didn't Sparkplug get one? Like, he, he, he did a lot of work here as well. Like, he was he was helping out with by Teletran for the entire thing, and he just gets passed over and slammed. Ah, no, you, you, you don't matter, you're not important to this. Also, is Chip an honorary Autobot? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, we we've seen nothing, nothing of of, of Chip here. He was also, you know, he's he's had a, a jaunt on Cybertron, if I recall as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it all it all seems very very unfair. But uh, but hey, I'm sure I'm sure they have their reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely like Carly, very definitely the, the MVP of, of that crew. Um, but but Spike had a good torch, so you know, I guess <laughs> I guess it, it it all counts. I mean, it is the, the thing. Like I, I found kind of funny, like in that first episode where, like you know, they, they Spark plug gives Spike the, the the communication device on his thumb, and he he basically says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna." F- feel really stupid talking into my thumb and I almost fully expected Sparkplug just to like retort like you've always been stupid son it's fine. <laughs> it felt like it was setting itself up for that line but but he didn't to his credit as a father maybe that's because he has come back from the unknown business trip that we'll never find out about yeah yeah exactly but but more more Sparkplug in a, in a seat please <laughs> So Andy, I've got the VHS here. Let's see if I can read the text on this sort of faded bit of paper here and let's see what it says. It is discovered that a shortage of the... Oh, oh wow, okay. This is... The, <laughs> it is discovered that a shortage of the robot essential element Cybertonium is causing the Transformers to malfunction. The Autobots, knowing that the Decepticons are expecting a shipment of Cybertonium, ask the, the Dinobots to... Oh, to intercept. Sorry, the paper's a bit faded. The Dinobots, however, have other ideas and desert. Nothing is left for Spike and Carly... Oh, sorry. Nothing is left but for Spike and Carly to go to Cybertron themselves, warding off an attack by Shockwave. Uh, it, look like, it looks like it says Carb and Spike, but I'm pretty sure it's meant to be Carly because of how the paper's faded. But <laughs> Carly and Spike meet up with Swoop, who tells them of the Dinobots' capture by the Decepticons. In an attempt to free the Dinobots, they themselves are trapped. They escape and freed the enslaved Dinobots, taking with them a shipment of Cybertonium meant for Megatron. Even Shockwave cannot stop them as they return to Earth, the saviors of the Autobots. That's literally the entire two episodes. I guess I mean if 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 you if you read if you read the entire back of that box in your local video rental store, you now don't need to rent that video because you've just found out everything that happens in it. So <laughs> Well, well done, whoever wrote that, for spoiling it for children everywhere. I've got, like, 20-year-old plastic wrap from a VHS just warding <laughs> off on my hand. So, folks, there we go. That concludes talking about desertion of the Dinobots. I, I seriously have enjoyed that. But next time, everybody, we will be talking about episodes 21 to 24 of season 2, which, for reference, Andy, have the following titles. Blaster Blues, episode 22, a Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court, 23, the God Gambit, and 24, the Core. I have have a bad feeling about how I'm going to get on with 
Transformers plus King Arthur, but we'll see. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be so cynical. <laughs> but we, we've already discussed my weird inability to kind of like believe in the Transformers, but not believe in like time travel and stuff involving the Transformers. But maybe, maybe this one will work. Who knows? Uh, do you know what? At the very least, like, because I know we've kind of been, we've both offhandedly mentioned it in episodes leading up through season two that. You know, we're aware that summer season two is probably going to get bad. Maybe we're at that point now where the peak is going to arrive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I feel like we, we could be. We could be incoming on, on some of those. Because, I mean, that's the thing, like, even City of Steel, as much as that wasn't a great episode, like, it wasn't a complete, like, disaster of, like, why did you even think that this was a good idea to write? It was mm. more just like, ah, you didn't really execute on it. So we've not actually had any episodes that are outright, like, what idiot wrote this kind of thing um or you know you clearly ran out of ideas for this show so uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how how this batch uh, how this batch goes because you know that almost takes us to the halfway point of the season once we've watched these so. oh my god it does as well doesn't it it does indeed <laughs> i guess at some point in the future we're gonna have to figure out how we're gonna handle transformers the movie but i know we've got a while before we get to that but we will uh, we will certainly get to that at some point but it is it is kind of wild to think we're already nearly halfway through season two now. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. And again, you know, this is so many episodes that I've I've never seen. Um, so it's been really cool. Like having having had, you know, my nostalgia trip was all the season one stuff, but a lot of this is kind of like all all new material for me. Um, so uh, and yeah, like especially Desertion of the Dinobots again, it's still like confused as to how that passed me by as a kid, and I never got to to see it. So, but finally, I've righted that wrong. So it's all good. <laughs> And next time you get to write the wrong of not seeing a Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suspect that might have been one that I willfully ignored as a kid. But, <laughs> so, you know. And you'll be thanking your past self for doing that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, folks, thank you very much for listening and or watching. If you want to reach out to us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at StarScreamsPod. You can drop us an email if you feel so inclined to StarScreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. And of course, if you're listening to the audio version and you want to check out the video version, perhaps you want to see the VHS cover that I mentioned, or you can check out Twitter and Instagram. I'm sure we'll put it on there as well. But make sure you search for us on YouTube for StarScreams Ghost Podcast and you should find us no problem. We will be back next week with another episode, talking episodes 21 through 24, as we have just previewed. And Andy, before we go today, any other random anecdotes you want to impart or any other random notes you have that you did not, that you were not rather able to share? I'm just still annoyed that there's a Powermaster Prime on the front of that VHS. Like, that's, that's false advertising. <laughs> I can't believe they have the wrong Optimus Prime on there. I mean, I can totally believe they have the wrong Optimus Prime on there, but, like, how, you know, that's, that's, that's not a key art from Season 2 of Transformers, is all I'm saying. I, I'm, Joe, I'm still trying to look at this and trying to see if there's, like, a year mentioned anywhere, but it doesn't... It's got, like, the 85 and 86 copyright lines, but it doesn't expressly say... Yeah, it looks like 1980. 1986. Yeah, 1986, that is, apparently. Yeah, just a really so, old VHS then, flipping heck. So yeah, so that, that's sooner sooner than I thought, but I guess that makes sense. It's also, I can't really show it on here, there's a really weird effect because some of like the print has come off onto the plastic, so it kind of oh, looks like yeah, it's a 3D that... effect, but <laughs> it's just, it's not. But no, I'm happy I was able to find that in time for this episode, because that's, that's made me happy I could share that. 
Yeah, I mean, I can tell you that, like, if you were to sell that on eBay, you could make as much as, like, £10. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. That seems I mean, far like, too much. A, a lot of them seem to be about, like, four, four or five quid, to be to be fair. But, uh, see, that's interesting, because there's also, like, clearly there was another release of it where they just used, a, 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 like, the actual, um, like, toy box art for Optimus Prime as the cover. Oh, okay. Which is like that was probably that that must have been the first time they released it, which would probably have been like nineteen eighty. Yeah, that was like nineteen eighty five. They released it as a, as a video gems hmm. for a length cartoon spectacular, um, and then so clearly like the the version you got was kind of like the second go around of, of on that when they uh, they they rebranded it with all the season three. Gubbins. Yeah, I've just quickly done a Google one. I'll shout out to videocollector.co.uk because I've just found literally like the actual wraparound box art of the one I've got. Yeah, that is that is the one that I found yeah. as well. Yeah, so there we go. Well, there we go, everybody. I think we'll leave us on that then. And uh, like I say, if you want to check, if you want to see the photos of it, everybody, we will post it on Twitter and Instagram as well at Starscreams Pod, so you can check out. My, my tattered VHS at this point. But, you know, given it came out in 86, Andy, I ain't gonna argue about that, given we're now in 2022. I mean, I'm, I'm just impressed you still have it. Like, I almost wish that I still had, you know, the, the, the few... The, the random tape where I recorded episodes off the TV um, and also, like, the one or two, uh, like, Transformers VHS that I owned. Because I mostly just rented them. Like, I think Call of the Primitives is the only one that I actually ever owned on, mm. on VHS. Uh, it's weird because this we're just going to elongate the episode a bit more now. But I'm convinced I might also have the key to Vector Sigma because that's another two-parter I vividly remember watching. I don't necessarily remember what yeah. happened in it in this instance because I remember that desertion of Dinobots far more. But I mean, I I was just like going through the loft one time and just found a bunch of old stuff. So I'll, I'll try and help go up there again, and if I find any more in the future, I will certainly bring them onto the podcast. I'm sure at some point, actually, we want to try and do kind of an episode more video form showing off old Transformers stuff we have. So if anything, there's a little preview for some future stuff, everybody. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I, I also vividly remember the key to Vector Sigma. I think I rented it multiple times on video, I seem to recall. Like rather, than, which, a false economy as it turns out, because it would probably <laughs> have been cheaper just to get my parents to buy it at that point. But I, as a kid, I was terrible about just like renting the same thing mm. week on week and just watching it repeatedly. <laughs> Do you know what, actually? I've just randomly looked up the key to Vector Sigma VHS. I remember the box art. Yeah, that's one of the um, aerial bots, isn't it? Yeah. The... Okay, if I find that, I will bring it on the pot. I honestly don't know if I've still got it, but if I do, now that I remember what it looks like, I'll keep an eye out for it if I'm going through the boxes in the loft again. <laughs> but anyway, we digress. Thank you very much for checking out the episode, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Do let us know in the comments and such if you did enjoy it or if you have any memories yourself. And if you've got any VHS tapes that are 30 years old, let us know. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, you've been listening to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care. Bye, everyone. <laughs>